This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that supporting your health can be as easy as taking two capsules a day? Each daily dose of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is formulated with 24 scientifically studied probiotic strains that support gut, skin, and heart health, helping you start the new year off right. Visit seed.com slash Spotify and use code SPOTIFY25 to get 25% off your first month. You know, I've, I've put together for when visiting the Renaissance Festival, a, a set of men's garb. So uh, if you're if you're going to dress up to go to the Renaissance Festival, Benjamin, it might be something that you would wear. Because um, I don't think you would wear a dress. I don't know. I'm just... You went straight into that without much warning. And I think we need context for the introduction of the term Renaissance Festival into the conversation. Oh, hey, you don't know what a Renaissance Fair is, Alistair? Oh, no, I do. I just don't understand why Corinna suddenly started talking about them. Also, I don't know why I'm okay, saying it like is, an American. A Renaissance because it's, Fair. it's fake and gay. My, my guard. <laughs> oh, oh, part of my guard. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and I, I go in... Uh, Men's garb and women's garb now, so it just depends on the the how the coin flip falls. So there were gender fluid people in Renaissance times. Yes, sure. All the uh, all the Shakespeare w- were played by men, right? Males and boys. Females. Oh, boys! Okay. I bet there wasn't any sex going on though. Nubile boys. You never know with those um, thespians. Yeah, the the uh, the femboys in the theater are probably not getting uh, fucked by the directors. That would be a surprise. Okay. Um, well. Okay. Oh, sorry. Are we recording? <laughs> well, I mean, well, we're, we're not going to record that. Now. Yeah, we got to restart now. <laughs> you could have said. There's so many things you could have said in some of the F word, girl. Femboy? Don't list them because then we have to start again, again. <laughs> Femboy, what's 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 up with the femboy phenomenon? Is that a good thing for society or not? I, I think we I don't understand. What, what is it? Is it like femboy pride? Is it people kind of taking pride in being feminine boys? Well, it's not just that. There's a sex component to it. Okay, it's like it's like a, it's like a, I think it's a parrot. Well, it's it's parroting the rise of the e girl. So young uh younger men who can pull off femininity can produce it for attention on the internet and become like kind of right. simulated e-girls what and they're on like insta um, what's it called only fans and stuff like that and yeah they, they get admirers yeah. um i don't think that's positive i don't think anything about yeah. only fans is positive you know, there's a woman who sells her farts in jars. Oh. I don't know her. There's a bathwater girl, uh, uh, Belle Daphine or something. She's like the paragon. Oh, yeah, that rings a bell. I heard that name. I heard somebody talking about that. This is a gross topic. Maybe we should move on. We should talk about Kalani. Yes. The conference. And we should talk about WPATH. Yeah. And we should yes. talk about Texas. We should maybe talk about Texas first. Well, it seems like... Corinna, what do you reckon? Yeah, it, it's it's fine. Um, Benjamin, I, I, I don't mean to be a, a bad guest. 
Are are we recording things that are going to be used as content right now? We're cutting in as soon as we get serious here. Every okay. time you say that, the answer becomes no. Not yet. Then, then, then could I propose? Uh, I, I apologize. I have a hard cutoff at one thirty. Yes. Come on, don't smile like that, Alistair. Um, the the uh, do we want to get started and Richie yes. will join as he can and I'll drop out. Yes. All right. I'm ready. Texas. Texas. Hey, What's Texas. Cool? Hey y'all. Hey y'all. Can you do a Texas accent, uh, Alistair, please? Um, I'm not sure I know enough about it. I only know one Texan. Okay. I know. Is it howdy y'all? Is it like that vaguely? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> That's not too bad. Okay. So what, what what's the deal with Texas? What's going on in Texas? Well, for the last couple of months, I've been going to Texas. They they are in session right now. I think they're they're coming to the end of their legislative session. I've been meeting with legislators. Um, this is all coordinated by a number of parents who have uh, kids that are transitioning. And there's a, a bill which uh, eventually got the number um, 3502 House House Bill 3502 which is pretty simple. What it does is that it requires if insurance companies provide any coverage to allow people to start medical transition, that those insurance companies must also continue to provide care for any sort of complications or follow-up care, or if somebody is detransitioning uh, reconstructive surgery. So it, it, it has been the case with uh, particularly detransitioners uh, that a girl will identify as a boy take testosterone for a few months or a couple of years, have a double mastectomy, and then after two or three years say, um, I wish I hadn't done this. And although you cannot get your natural chest repaired to brought, be brought back to what you were uh, born with or developed, um, you can at least have reconstructive surgery to get something that is similar. But uh, what is happening all over the country is that insurance companies say, uh, this isn't medically necessary. So it although, it's arguable whether having the double mastectomy was medically necessary in the first place. Um, nevertheless, these detransitioners find themselves in a spot where it was very easy to change their bodies, that they have regret that they have done so, and that they find that there is a, a huge wall in front of them, sometimes represented by the same insurer that helped them have their breasts cut off in the first place to be able to have any sort of reconstructive surgery. In addition, a lot of these medical procedures, uh, when we're talking about things like um, hormone blockers that we're giving to uh, young adolescents, that those could have uh, side effects of causing um, osteoporosis. And so the same legislation would require, if there's a, a side effect or a complication from a, a drug or a procedure, that the insurance company must also continue to provide coverage for the, the follow-up care or, or to cover any sort of complications. So that was something that uh, me and a group of other advocates fought for very hard since February. Um, several or many meetings at the state legislature, uh, a lot of uh, begging and pleading and uh, favor calling and all sorts of things to get this uh, rolled forward. And, uh, you know, uh, getting it through the committee, getting the committee to vote on it and getting it onto the legislative uh, calendar for a second reading, all of these things are, are steps that 
have to be overcome for, for a bill to, to get into law. And what happened yesterday is that the Democrats in Texas um, did something that, that they call chubbing, which is that every bill needs to have a second reading before the uh, this phase of the, the legislative process ends. And the Democrats did everything that they could to delay the reading of additional bills so that they, they missed the cutoff deadline. And last night, the, the deadline was midnight, and it was a race down to the finish. And unfortunately, our bill, HB 3502, did not make it over the finish line because of the delaying tactics of the Texas Democrats. And at the midnight deadline, when our bill uh, was up for a reading and, and was not able to be read, the Democrats cheered and clapped, and they said, we did it, we stopped it. And uh, This bill mind, specifically? This bill specifically. Okay. And remember that the only thing that it does is require insurers to provide uh, additional coverage if they cover any any transition procedures. So can I just come in really quickly and just spell something out just really quickly? There could be a trans rights activist in Texas who hates me and hates all of us and is very, very ideological and believes there's trans genocide coming and so forth. That person might have um, sex reassignment surgery and might have complications which could potentially lead to incontinence or something like that. This bill blocks that person from getting that corrective procedure done on insurance. So they are now yeah. literally out of spite, harming trans people who want to stay trans and think transphobia is everywhere and death before detransition. And they will even throw those people under the bus and say, yeah. pay for your own reconstructive surgery just out of spite. I mean, that's so cool. And so maybe you, that yeah, idea of spite is you, know, you, you cut off your peen to smite your, your face, I guess, kind of thing. Yeah, I, I do. Because I put my reputation behind this bill, I do want to be very clear about something, Alistair. Insurance companies can voluntarily offer reconstructive procedures for detransitioners. And so it might be that you're, if you're lucky enough, your insurer might cover it. Okay. A lot of them do not. Do not. So somebody would not we have numbers on that? Able to get. Um, in Texas, we don't, we, we don't have clear numbers because th this yeah. is uh, very fuzzy. Um, we know that some people have been denied their claims and they give up after being denied once or twice. Some people are tenacious and they try three or four or five times to get their, their claims covered. And sometimes the insurance companies will do it on a case-by-case -case basis. So it's, it's hard to say um, by numbers what the different companies are doing because it, it really depends more on an individual basis. But instead of requiring individuals to doggedly pursue their claims, uh, some of which or many of which would be denied anyway. What this does is say, if you provide the on-ramp into uh, this condition, you also have to provide the, the all of the maintenance care and also the off-ramp. So do you know the mindset that would make the Democrats cheer for this bill not to go through? So it seems like they have an idea that this is a bad thing. I don't see how, yeah. I don't see how it's a bad thing. I, I believe I can represent it. So using i'm going to give it the best steel man argument that i can and then i'm going to tell you what i think is actually happening because i think these are two different things so the strongest steel man argument is if you require 
for example, that an insurance company that covers a phalloplasty, which is the the most uh, highest rate of complications for any of these gender affirming surgeries, that if you say uh, that this um, procedure, which might require two or three or four or five follow-up surgeries due to complications also have to be covered by insurance, that the insurance company will say, well, uh, that's too expensive for us to cover, and therefore we're not even going to cover the initial phalloplasty. So um, what, what could happen in some cases is that the insurers would choose to reduce the amount of coverage that they offer for some procedures. And I'll be honest with you, uh, that is something that we are not opposed to happening if some of these procedures are so dangerous and uh, unreliable that they end up causing a, a massive harm to, to the patient. And, and, and let's say phalloplasty is, is without a, out a doubt the, the, the most extreme example of that. So um, they say, well, if this passes, there'll be fewer phalloplasties. Now, I think what's actually happening is that because there are there's other legislation that's happening in the Texas House right now. One of the things being uh, SB 14, which curtails pediatric gender transition uh, medication. I believe what's actually happening is that the Democrats are uh, resigned to the fact that SB 14 is going to pass despite all of their delaying tactics. And this is just a thumb in the eye of the Republican sponsors of this legislation for also supporting SB 14. Uh, this is this is just uh, yeah. revenge. I just spoke with Lior Sapir yesterday. He works mm. for the Manhattan Institute and he's um, he's a he's a scholar of American governance and, and political theory. And we got into the weeds about the legality or the lawfare around this issue. And the lawfare is a little bit different than the um, what you're describing here, which is the legislative kind of aspect, which is very much more political. I mean, it's all political, mm. but the, the judiciary stuff's a little less political. Um, and I think that it's an absolute crying shame that this is a political um, topic, that this is uh, like Oregon and California and Texas now. They're all using the bodies of children to fight a war. It's like it's like this World War One proxy thing where they're using the bodies of distressed children to make political points. It's just so egregious. And I, I know that it has to happen in some way or another, but like the kids themselves are completely forgotten or the ideas around the kids themselves. And me and Lior spoke at length about this trans kid just as a meme and just how powerful it is um, mm -hmm. to kind of shut off a lot of different critical thinking around this issue. Yeah, Heather yeah. Brunskill Evans is very good on that. That this the invention of the transgender kid. This yeah, it's like the child crusades or something. Sorry, Corinna, go on. No, I I just wanted to add. I think it's really important to realize that although some people represent this as trans hostile or anti-trans as as the side I'm on, antagonist, um, and, and their side is pro-trans, trans, trans antagonist. What I would say is a more accurate or, or a fairer view of this is that my side uh, is asking that we have evidence that supports any of these procedures, evidence that people are better off or that they have higher uh, metrics on, on, on their, their health metrics 
um, by any of these procedures. And what we have found out through time and time and time again is that the level of evidence is extremely low and that there's just as much evidence that this is harmful as, as it is uh, helpful. So, and, and these are, these and are kids that we're talking about. And then there's another accompanying question, which in addition, which is not just where's the evidence for this, but what's the evidence against something else? Because there are different ways that you can deal with this if, yeah. if a kid is really distressed by this. So what? So there's a question that I want people at the likes of WPATH to answer, which is what are the risks associated with trying to deal with, let's call it gender dysphoria, whatever you want to call it, through therapy, and life changes what what do they see the risks because i think they should be able to quantify that they or at least if well, they can't quantify it they can at least outline it that, that sets up what i think is the the other side or the pro-trans side which is that they believe that it's uh anybody who identifies as trans is innately trans and that anything that stands in the way of people being able to medicalize their condition is a, a way of, of denying somebody from being able to achieve their authentic self. So they have something that's uh, something of a, a Gnostic argument that's not a medical argument. And we're making medical arguments and they're making, you know, we're not going to be able to speak on the same terms because we're trying to get to different outcomes. It's their, their anthem, the EPATH's anthem was don't stop believing. And it's like, that that's literally the opposite of science. The whole point of science is that if you if you say to your physics teacher, I don't believe in gravity, your physics teacher should say, form an alternative hypothesis, test it, work out what you need, conduct the experiment, put it to your peers, do another experiment, reform it. Um, so if we had an anthem, it should be stop believing. It's literally the opposite. Stop believing. Test it. Or at least just think. pause believing. Just take some Lupron. Pause, pause your believing. Yeah, or, think, or sit think, with your through. beliefs and then kind of, you know, test them again and think, well, what, how would I think of this if I really didn't believe that and all the rest of it? Um, I thought Eliza was so good on that topic. She was she was brilliant. Just that the kind of and tying that in with this point that the only people who doubt whether they're trans are trans. So therefore, so that's a cognitive sinkhole because as soon as you think, well, am I trans? Oh, I must, I'm trans, and it's done. And this kind of this whole idea of belief and how central it is to to what they're doing, which of course it doesn't need to be because you can have sex reassignment surgery and and think of it as entirely cosmetic if you want. You, you don't have to believe anything about your soul. You don't have to have a soul. You can just say, quite like a neo vagina, if, if that's what you want. Well, yeah, but do you do you achieve the same level of? I don't mean this. I actually, I there's this thing called trans joy that that's kind of a meme. Yeah. Like like trans joy is real. And I just had a friend who had uh, feminization surgery, and before and after the surgery, there was this. They uh, expressed to me like this great feeling of happiness and fitting in, right? Um, like this this euphoria around this body modification surgery to actualize that. I don't think that you can have that without some sort of belief structure that you're fulfilling some sort of hero's journey yeah. or some sort of like authentic authenticity. So I don't think you can take the uh, the belief away and just make it cosmetic and still have the same drive to do it and the same positive regard for it well i've met trans people who say 
that they don't believe in any gender identity theory and that there was no there was none of that and it was just an improvement and um, i don't know it's difficult to know what people believe and it's difficult to know what beliefs will endure yeah well just um, to bring things back to one of the things i care about at the moment which is what we're actually doing to young people the young people don't really have the experience or sophistication to work out beliefs versus facts quite quite at the same level as somebody who's had a little bit more worldliness and and so one of the things i'm worried about when we're dealing with this as a belief system is that belief and fact are getting conflated in the minds of young people so if, if you use the term and i'm sure you covered this with lior it's a pure but if you're using a term like trans kid what you're doing is you're what you're you're implicitly saying it is a, an innate property of this person that they're trans it's not acquired it's it's innate and therefore somebody who's innately this way has to be treated a certain way and and these young people are are not saying um i'm going to affiliate with trans i'm going to join the trans party and 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 do the things that the the, the party is, is looking for they're saying i am trans i was born this way and therefore all of this belief system which which uh i'm not recognizing as as an ideology uh is, is something that applies to me and i have to start fighting for now like i have to have these operations or else i'll kill myself i have to have access to hormone replacement therapy or else i won't be able to be my authentic self you know the, these uh young people are are extremely influenced by this and, and they need a way to work it out hello richie hi everyone hi, richie. Nice. hi alistair nice hat boise thanks bro how you doing you look I'm fresh. I'm going to let us down on the hat front. Come on, Corinna, put it on. Yeah, go on. Oh, God, where's my hat? I don't have a hat. I feel left out. Swap these out. You get a hat. It's very French, nice... though. It yeah, is. The, the feather's feel... hidden. The, the, the feather needs to be... <laughs> you know how Prince Anne trolled Prince... Princess Anne trolled Prince Harry with the massive feather at that the That was intentional? <laughs> Apparently. Uh, you need to do that with it. You need to go and... Oh, he can't hear. Yeah. We were yeah. just saying it suits you. Yeah, I wear it to the grocery store and I get looks. I'm What's kidding, I don't do that, hat? but why don't I? I'm but, you know, it's shopping. like you present the way you present, but you won't wear a hat at the shop. Like Gosh. a pillbox hat? Mm -hmm. Is that a song? Is that what you said? Richie, can you just like adjust your camera to put yourself front and center just for editing later on? Um, uh, yeah, anyway, sure. Uh, just, just a little. Are we, just a little are we better now? Yeah. We're good. Yeah, We're in yeah, frame. Yeah. Boop, right boop, there. Boop, boop, boop. There we are. So we uh, were talking about Texas, but um, now that you're on the call, we can talk a little bit about um, what's going on on other fronts, if you guys want, um, in, in the wake of... of uh, meeting all the detransitioners, everybody getting together, meeting uh, all these different um, levels of uh, people that are invested in the conversation at Killarney. Um, if there's some lessons that we derive from that, or if there's energy, um, or if there's opportunities that have opened up uh, on the positive well, end so, specifically. There's so, much, there's so much chatter. There's so many people who feel kind of 
activated. There's lots of people who've been saying things like, oh, I've been meaning to blah, 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 whatever it is, some project of theirs. And, and now I feel like I met somebody or do you know what I mean? And so there's loads of chatter. It's just chatter has increased massively in some way. So just like my WhatsApp's just like three times as active generally, do you know? And and there's lots of there's lots of kind of people thinking about what to do and initiatives and yeah, I think it was very I was just talking to Jesse about this. I think it was very meaningful for a lot of people to meet physically the first time. Uh people who've been working with one another for maybe years. Um there is something different about it. And it created a nice energy. And it was just really amazing just to be able to walk around Kalani openly without anyone um, feeling like they need to hide their lanyard or worrying about being on camera. I'm sure there were a few people who kind of had concerns because there were parents there and stuff, but it really feels like that's changed. Like, I swear, if we'd done it a year ago, there would have been loads of emails like, how where are the cameras going to be oh, i need to avoid them and we would have had somebody emailing saying you need to do an announcement beforehand telling people to be careful for their security and there was none of that i'm not saying the world has changed yeah. and the world has changed forever but it's just it's a it was a really interesting experience to see how little um fear there seemed to be which that is remarkable because maybe uh, from a historical point people of view people won't realize just how much fear and repression um self-repression has been going on i mean we know it now we've seen it i've seen it i don't have the same level of it but with with parents and then the blowback for detransitioners the blowback for anybody who stands against this has been really high for a really long time and teachers and yeah. really been blowback you know, so i mean i've had criticism but blowback well, to I'm me would just, seem like all with the only criticism like we're getting is from that one main camp and listen there are outliers who do criticize how we do things so it's, there's also a purity spiral somewhere right you know mm -hmm. um but on the whole it's just the people that we've left from the cult as it were who are who are really really on our case and the allies who and i saw this mentioned on twitter and, and god i wish i had the credit uh give the person who said it, it possibly was Serena but anyway it was just all about how like trans allies are now worse than trans activists like mm. right now it's like it's hit that point now and everyone's just like they are engaged and activated and now we are engaged and activated and it looks like it feels like everyone's just gearing up for a big scrap do you know what I mean it just feels like that's where we're hmm. heading to like everyone's up in the game and uh just want to very quickly go back and say meeting the other detransitioners in person was so refreshing for the soul in a way that i just can't really get across and obviously i met all of you guys and i hugged all of you guys and that was great too don't get us wrong but just being with like you know Hell, like just being in the same room with all these people who have been watching on a screen for the last couple of years just all like laughing and being together oh god it was so beautiful like and it was so refreshing and it was exactly what we needed and we really need to do and i think one of us probably me will end up organizing like um a meetup probably one in europe and one in the us um 
and it's just about how do we navigate around that because most of us don't work like obviously i work and stuff but most of us don't because of things um but yeah god it was so good i loved it so much yeah it was an amazing weekend i feel the same not about obviously about my fellow detransitioners so i don't have any but about the first people i met coming into this that was the biggest thing for me the parents so the parents, the parents that we we went to dinner with a few times and that was huge but yeah it, it, i just kind of wish i could live that weekend over and over again it was just incredibly as i said it's incredibly annoying because like i spoke for 10 minutes to people that i would happily have spoke would happily have put them in the car and driven them all up the coast in the wild atlantic way and gone for a nice lunch and, da, 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 and you just kind of rushed through five minute conversations that was that was really annoying so i'm glad people are talking about doing more stuff independently yeah Corinna, what about yeah. you how how was it um for you to plug into that and and to see that happening and be involved in in that weekend uh that's a pretty interesting question benjamin i'm i'm sort of walking my own beat in some ways um there were times with genspec don't get me wrong genspec was amazing but there are a few panels that i was just like yeah i'm, I'm in the, the the chorus here right i don't need to 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 hear all of this again so i'm going to go bother epath oh. so I, I was back and forth between the, the various conferences and mostly what i want to do is get there to be more interaction happening between our side and their side because i i think that in the ideal future state that we're trying to get to there actually needs to be more interaction between people who see things differently watch this um, space how how would that interaction take place how would that initiate Did, were there any bridges or even ropes flung across that divide um from your and just yes. for anybody who's tuning in who doesn't know what we're talking about genspect is an organization that brings together a bunch of other organizations that's trying to take a very evidence-based compassionate um, framework on trans health detrans health and the entire uh, gender issue and then epath is a medical organization that sets forth standards of care that is explicitly ideological explicitly pro-trans and as eliza mondegreen has detailed exp uh, very set in its ways anti-evidence in a lot of ways and i'll have eliza on next week to talk about that along with aaron terrell um so the these two camps really have a big gap between them and corinna eliza and wesley yang were a few of the people who were going back and forth and and, and witnessing both yes. sides of this they epath wrote to us which is to, to our to, to to Jensburg, which is to our knowledge the first time any path, WPATH, USPATH, EPATH, OSPATH, could be wrong, but to our knowledge, the first time they've ever acknowledged the existence of any uh, any organization which doesn't share their viewpoint. Um, and that's major. We're, you know, we're going to react. We're, we're talking about how to respond and, and so forth. Um, but it's major because their only weapon has been no debate. Their weapon has been no debate. And then the activists come in and savage people, whether it's detransitioners or parents, it's the same model, which is they don't debate, you don't exist, we don't even know about it. They'll sit there and say, we've never heard of anyone detransitioned or whatever. 
Um, and then they, so they're just kind of aloof and unseeing. And then the activists come in and savage people and, and tell them that just the worst things imaginable. And they wrote to us and they said, we're upset at the way you've characterized us to which my response is, well, now you know how that feels. Because well, you've called... bad for. <laughs> well I got in a bit of a small bit of trouble for saying that. Um, you? because you said it in the nice Yeah, you said it and then I said it. And I said there was no way I was gonna be self-serving and paternal and say, Well, I I I wouldn't put it in those terms because yeah. and I thought, no. Nah. So I said it in the heat of the moment, like I don't I, you know. They did call the police on us a week before we arrived in Kalani. Then they Hi. called us genocidal. Yeah, they called the police. It's mad. They called the police and to say, like, we, we might be unsafe, basically. And the police just <laughs> obviously ignored them because it's the Irish yeah. rural police. So, like, what? What? Um, you might be. I know. What do the, you mean? That's crazy. They, they, they sent out an email to all of their members saying, we know some of you feel unsafe and we've contacted the authorities. They didn't say the police, but there's no way to... You, Richie, you know, in Britain and Ireland, if you say I've yeah. contacted the authorities, like, yes. that's the police, right? Um, yeah. And then they called us genocidal and then they blocked us on Twitter. So it's like, you're not yeah. sharing yourself in glory. It um, really seems like the shoe is to, on the other... The, on the other foot. It feels like the shoe is on the other foot. And I want to come back to something that Corinna said, which is I think we should maximize opportunities for dialogue. I, I really do. And I, but I would like that dialogue to be as public as possible. I would like an answer to the question, what are the associated risks with dealing with distress about your gender in a non-medicalized way? Like what are the risks? Because it seems to me all they've got is a bunch of, frankly, incredibly flaky stuff about suicide and suicidality, which doesn't hold up to scrutiny. And I don't see much else there. So I would like us to be, th I would like both sides to be thinking, okay, what if we're wrong? What are the risks if we're wrong? If we're wrong, there are, Karina, you're shaking your head, why? What's I, I wrong? am, because, because I, I explained this a little earlier before uh, Richie got here, so I'll just repeat it very briefly. That's our mindset of what are the benefits and what are the risks? What can you tell us the evidence shows? They're never going oh, to I know, I know. think of in those terms. They don't they don't care about that. They're gonna say, well, I know, I just is, want to prove but... that. I want to prove that. I want to prove that I want to challenge them to do it and I want to see them fail to do it. That's the point. Because anyone should be any scientist should be able to engage with the opposite argument and know it well. So we I want to show the world that they can't do that. They're, they're not scientists, though. They're going to flip it around and say, the risk is that these people will have to live in, in a state of repression and inauthenticity uh, mm. for, for, for much longer. And, and if you make them do that, their bodies will mature in such a way that they'll require additional surgeries in order to become their authentic selves. That's, that's mm -hmm. what they'll answer. And I think it's important for them to state that. Okay. When do they state these things? When do they actually basically say, we believe in magic internal gender fairies, which is kind of, you know, kind of the message. I would not mind seeing that in writing, or I wouldn't mind hearing somebody say it in a recorded context, because I think surely being open about these different approaches is the right way forward. I mean, they presented as much at, at EPATH. Do you have any specific stories, Corinna, from EPATH from the weekend? What was happening on the other side of the uh, 
crevasse um, a, a, a number but uh, i i did have a, a a snoop on a conversation susie green had with tara hewitt where they were trying to figure out plans how to get private uh health care quote-unquote services through gender gp into ireland and i've so I've written susie about green that. oh you've written about it, so just to map it for the uh, person strange to the story susie green is the head or was the head of this mermaids um organization which was promoting specifically trans health care frustrated a gay son just children. before his 16th birthday in thailand sorry boys i just wanted yes. to get that in no. there yeah yeah and also yeah. she blamed all the homophobia that she experienced on her husband, Susie Green, you are a coward and you are a homophobe and you castrated your only child. So fuck you, Susie Green. There you go. Okay. And now she kind of got booted out gyms. of mermaids and now is going over to Ireland and trying to get Ireland to do her bidding or at least side with her by reforming. Well, she's trying to re-educate the Irish because she's decided the Irish are too enamored of the HSE, which is the healthcare system here, and need to be desensitized to accept more private care so she can make money selling hormones to kids. Okay. That's what... Yep. So it's a business Sorry, opportunity told for told your her. story. Yeah. Nope, that's, that's it. That's that's the uh, beginning and middle and the end of it is that they want to... Which... Well, I guess, I guess yeah. one other thing is that um, Tenny, which is the Transgender Equality Network of Ireland, was one of the groups that brought EPATH to Killarney. And their president was able to give a, an opening uh, welcome speech at the at the opening plenary session, wherein she uh, described the trans antagonistic side as being uh, genocidal. So on one hand, you've got the, the somewhat, uh, let's say, overstated concerns from the Tenney president at, at the opening session, and at the other side of it, is you have one of their representatives figuring out how to replace the HSE um, in Killarney. So yeah. it's, it's a, to me, it's scandalous that, you know, yeah. what do I know? Yeah. It goes back well, and forth between suicide Susie Green, and Sorry, isn't Susie Green now part of Gender GP? That's correct. Yeah, I thought she was like this, not a CEO, but some something. Hmm. Head of morality and values. Um, hmm. Yeah, and uh, that has an implication, all of that, which is, among other things, that EPATH, by design or probably by accident, allowed their conference to become essentially some kind of trade fair for pediatric medicine. Because because if you're bringing in private parties who are then not necessarily even selling their wares, but they're trying to lobby and influence such that they will be able to make more money down the line. There's also been a suggestion that because of the UK's exit from the EU, it may be easier for her to get away with it here in the Republic of Ireland rather than the UK. I don't know enough to know whether that's true. And I would doubt that any, I'm, I'm not sure anyone does because I think there's a lot of uncertainty there. Um, but at any rate, it doesn't look good. Because they're sort of stood, stood up there kind of banging on about genocide and so forth, while she's essentially saying, we need to get, we need to Americanize the Irish people's view of healthcare, that, more or less. I don't want to say that in a way as though I think the American healthcare service has nothing to offer. I'm not trying to evangelize European model healthcare. It's just the so reality is nobody, and nobody here wants to change, rightly or wrongly wants to change the healthcare system in that direction. If anything, they would be going in the other direction. That's the thrust of public opinion. So, yeah, that was a good bit of gossip. 
Corinna was like yeah. live. You were just typing it into the messaging oh, I... as she was saying, and I was just reading it. Come on. <laughs> Corinna, I, I, I'm aware of your time. You have about another 10 minutes. Do you, is there any other insights of from ePath that you'd well, like to share? So I was talking about building bridges, and I'll, I'll explain why I think that we need to at least... Uh, I, I get the I get the emotional sentiment of WPATH. I, I totally get that. I'm I'm not uh, opposed to that. I'm sorry. I know you're going to have to to bleep some stuff. No, that's fine. Maybe that's fine. we're okay. Um, Just the femboy part's going to be cut out. Uh, so everybody at home, sorry about that. You missed out. Yeah, that's that's fine. Um, I, I'm dressed now. The uh, the part of the uh, EPAL session, one of the things that I attended was, hey, how, how do we as clinicians respond to uh, accusations that were ideologues? So I attended a whole panel that was around this topic. Uh, one member of the panel, uh, by the way, was the former EPAL president who had given one of the opening plen plenary notes where uh, the, the guy who said uh, they, have a, they have the freedom to, to say what they want to, but we don't have to listen to it. Uh, that's something that was said during the ePath opening session. Uh, he was he was on this uh, session, but I went to one of the people who was on this panel afterwards, and I said, you know, one of the ways that you guys can be a, uh, avoid these accusations that you're ideologues is that you can actually put some distance between yourselves and your colleagues who absolutely are ideologues, because there there are like Susie Green and Helen Weberly. And I'll, I'll add Gary Butler, who's the head uh, pediatric endocrinologist for JIDS. Uh, these people are ideologues. Polly Carmichael, who is, who is the director of JIDS, uh, where, where everything fell apart. And these people are ideologues. So if you don't want to be called an ideologue, you actually need to separate yourself from the, the other people who are at this EPAP meeting who are the ideologues. And he said uh, that he agreed with that. And that he was frustrated by what he described as gender anarchists who are just demanding access to hormones and surgeries without any sort of um, evaluation period. And he said that doctors should not just be people who uh, write okay letters for uh, pharmacists and, and surgeons to work on them. Because uh, from his point of view, now, I know that we're going to disagree with this because we've already said the, the state of the evidence shows that, that, that there's no real reason for people to be modifying people like this. Set that aside for a second and, and say that, that for some people, the jury is still out and that they think that there are some people who could be helped by it. His point of view was, I'm no longer allowed as a, a clinician to exercise my professional judgment about who may be helped by this and who might be, may be harmed by it because these activists are coming in and, and demanding outcomes. Like we're, we're, not, we're not professionals making decisions anymore, we're just checking boxes. I want more people in EPATH to, to make that complaint. I want more people in EPATH to push back on this uh, informed consent model because as we know, uh, as we break it down, it's not informed and it doesn't involve a, 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 an authentic form of consent where the people who are uh, having access to these medications and these surgeries really understand what the repercussions are. So if if there's a faction inside of EPATH that will become firmer and say, no, uh, we need to make this more medicine-based uh, instead of identity-based, hell yes, I want to I help those people gain more prominence. Yeah. It, it, if the 
I'm just thinking like what happened in the wake of World War II with the Nazis being absorbed into NASA. You know, if if mm-hmm. if Ginspec becomes the uh, the open tent, um, then it can allow defectors from EPATH to kind of assimilate and kind of distance themselves from from their you know the, the baggage that's associated yeah. to that. But I don't know if that's not possible. if they be, not if they are planning to argue for medicalization. Mm-hmm. Could, could I uh, highlight something that uh, mm-hmm. an interaction that I saw with with Richie and and uh, one of the Genspec guests? Is that all right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Ken Zucker, I'm I'm going to assume. And can you introduce mm-hmm. the the people that were involved in this? I didn't see this, so I want to hear this. This is in a private room. Oh, right. well, then, uh, I don't know. Or okay. you do it from your perspective, Xad. All right. Well. Let's say that it's a, a well-known Canadian clinician, and, and not call him by by any names. Rhymes um, with, it rhymes with motherfucker, actually. So oh, no. it, it, I know. Rich is coming in hot today. This was a uh, in in one of the private sessions, but uh, I, I don't think that this reveals too much. But um, Richie asked uh, Ken Zucker. For the for the young people that you helped get onto the transition path, how are they doing twenty years later? How are they doing thirty years later? Forty years later? And he said, "I don't know." And Richie said, "Well, don't you think that you should?" And I thought that that was very poignant. And and uh, you know, you t- you talk about having an open tent. We do have some of the people who used to be uh, quite uh, supportive of this transition model, uh, a, m- a much more an, an earlier version of it that was uh, considered itself to be a, a lot more cautious, right? But you still did have people who were advocating this transition model, and they're they're not doing the long-term follow-ups that all of us, I'm sure, uh, Benjamin. I, I don't know if it's fair to include you or not because you're you're not you're not in our alignment necessarily. But I, I think the rest of us really think there should be long-term follow-up if you are transitioning children. So, Rich, Richie, I, I wanted to acknowledge, I thought that that was uh, an extremely fair comment that you made. Yeah, thank That's you. That's nice. Yeah. I really, it, that was in a in a private group where, I think was that, because there was two private sessions for detransitioners. Mm-hmm. One was trying to find out, like, the health questions. I, was it that one or was it the it other It was that one, one yes. Right. Okay. So a lot of that, just so people know, um, at the conference, there was a breakout room where the detransitioners were invited to ask some medical professions about the questions they had. And naturally, um, a few of us, including myself, had quite a lot, especially when you've been involved in this and you're dealing with a lot of other people and you become quite familiar with a lot of the complications, even if they don't happen to you. Um, And a lot of the questions was, we just don't know. And it was like, there is that element of frustration there that no one yeah. knows. And yeah. I know they're trying to help, but it's like, God damn, we, we really are in the dark. And then you got, you got Endocrinologist. Sorry, go on. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. So you, you've got like Zucker there who I don't think these people who aren't like trans themselves, who have involved in, I don't think they're fundamentally bad. I think they're just doing what's within their profession and they don't have any super strong feelings about it because they don't have the emotional investment. They've got an academic interest. And I think that is very detaching from the damage too when you have that very academic approach. Um, 
and I look at the like Suzuka and I see more of him come through and I'm thinking we are inviting these Trojan horses back in and my worry is when we talk like for instance Zucker believes that there are some people 100% trans kids who will benefit 100% no matter what and by the way Helena asked a solid question at him it was like is this ethical right and god he couldn't answer that one I grilled him about that as well says you should answer Helena says I were there if you want to talk to her and he was just he was like head down in that I know I'm a little bit aggressive I don't care it's being male right you know go fuck yourself that's what I say um where was the voice you have to keep us up here I am toxic. toxic. I don't care. Let me be toxic, okay? Put a warning label not, on it or something. Can I... Trigger warning. He's, it's not... <laughs> I, I take your point. I, I think it's... I think it's. I think any of anyone should have been able to feel welcome to come into that room. It's not a Trojan horse. We're not going to argue. For do you know, we are never going to argue. We will never be the people that you come from if you want come to if you want to medicalize. Because aside from anything else, there's loads of other places you could go. And I wouldn't recommend W Perth because they're you know, bonkers, but we're never going to do that. We're never going to be saying transition. You know, we don't I believe. Just, I do I do worry that when we go down the thread of, yeah, but this works for some, then we're right back to where we were before, which is, okay, it works for some, maybe it worked for this group, maybe it'll work for that group. And that's exactly I where think we came I, from, you know? I think I might have missed some stuff. I didn't really see a lot of stuff with Ken and I didn't actually meet Ken. Just, did anyone push back? Like, did he say that? Did it get to that point? Or do you think it didn't actually get to that point where somebody... Because surely if he said, I think some people should transition, yeah. somebody in that room that's must what, have that's said... That's what triggered Helena's question, which was... Okay, good for uh, her. For, good for her. Yeah. And and the question for the people who didn't say it was, is it ethical to induce lifelong medicalization that's going to lead to osteoporosis, autoimmunity, and other health problems for this? What is that ethical? And he... He laughed at the question and said, I won't, I'm not going to answer it. Okay. And he wouldn't answer it in the other room. And I just think you're laughing. It's funny to you, but it's not to me. I'm going to drill you. I'm, I'm sorry if they feel uncomfortable yeah. for half an hour of the day, but people are like living in this discomfort for all the life. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, do they need a free pass just because they joined our conference? Nah, fuck that. And, and no. I understand. No. <laughs> no Last question for Corinna. Last question for Corinna. Um, yeah. Where do you land on the medicalization? If, if uh, is there an age limit? Um, where, where do you think that? Uh, I, I, I personally think that it's going to happen no matter what. It's, it's a, it, the Pandora's box is open. Uh, you can, you can put guardrails around it for childhood yeah. and stuff like that. But wh- where, where do you land on the medicalization? Never um, after an age. Well, I'd like to answer, and I'd like to hear Richie because I think Richie disagrees with me. But I, I think that. At some point, um, two things. One is that you shouldn't just do this to anybody who walks in and asks for it. There should be some sort of process of making sure that this person has competency and and that they understand the risk. So so no matter the age, that, that has to be there. But I, I think that after some point, we have to just agree that people who want to have cosmetic procedures performed on them uh, are taking a risk, that, that we have to say they're adults. And um, I don't know if uh, 21 is the right age for that. Uh, the laws that I've been um, supporting are, are 18, but I didn't pick the number. Uh, but uh, whether it's 18 or 21, I would, I would think that it'd be uh, one of those two, probably 21. I think personally, when it comes down to uh, the medicalization, 
there's no point giving an opinion unless we have the solid research that shows the longevity, that shows if this is... Because it could be that actually what some trans activists have said about this is overall it does improve people. Maybe they do earn a little bit more. Maybe they even live a little longer or something like that. But we don't have that evidence in concrete form. We've got shit UCTS crappy survey that that filters out people or that they don't want answers to and it's all very it's not reliable and this is the thing we have the data we've been doing surgeries as activists says for decades so we must be able to there must be something as simple as this in the uk for instance there's like on average in the nhs there's 140 vaginal plasties that occur through the Brighton Clinic every year. That's with the NHS, right? Hmm. Doesn't seem like a lot, but when you add it up with the private in the background, it's quite a lot. And it's like, there must be a way to go and say, right, this is how many people had surgery in this year. Are they still alive? First, first question, are they still alive? Okay, if they're alive, what health problems do they have? Do they have any? Are they still transitioned? I feel like that data is in within reach. And we're pretending it's this mystical, complex matter to get it. And I'm thinking, it's not. They know who's alive and who's dead. They know what problems they're up. They know who's had surgery. They just need to dig. And I think they know. They know the answers. And that's why they pretend it's like this mystical thing that they just don't know the answers to, that it's all a mystery. It's not a fucking mystery. Sorry, was that even related to what we're saying? It is. Just, just uh, to break in very briefly, uh, checking my calendar, I'm actually free for another 30 minutes, so I apologize oh, for that. Okay, we can relax didn't, then. Didn't, didn't mean I, actually, I like the popcorn thing. I like, I think, I think, I like yeah. So um, the age for medicalization, they're on, there's no age limit on safeguards. It doesn't, as Corinna said, it doesn't matter what, how old you are, you should have the same safeguards. Obviously, children are going to be slightly different, but adults deserve help and care the same way as everyone else and i don't care how old they are and in terms of cosmetic procedures there was a law firm a few years ago that had a sample of a thousand uh people who had undergone cosmetic uh, surgeries and found over 67 percent experienced significant regret and this whole idea that well we'll do these cosmetic surgeries maybe we shouldn't maybe we shouldn't be doing these things too as a society and people saying you know, you have this freedom of choice. You should be able to be autonomous to make all your own fuck-ups. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree in a way, but I don't think, um, we don't see limbless people, voluntary limbless people walking around for a yeah. reason. There are, yeah, Because yes. they're limbless. Yeah, because yeah, they're limbless. Well, <laughs> well of course they won't point. be walking around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, I got you. <laughs> um, I think speaking... <laughs> Speaking for myself, because I came into this through parents and stuff, the parents were obviously, because like if you've got a 16-year-old kid and, and the kid wants to transition, you're thinking, I really don't want you to. The natural way to campaign is to say, well, I mean, once he's 18, because then that's like, I've got two years, I've got two years, I've got two years. And then the parents of the 17-year-olds are going like, well, maybe it's 21. And the parents of the 20-year-olds are going, maybe it's... Now there is this this evidence that your brain doesn't develop until fully developed until you're 25, and that mm. it's older for certain people. Blah blah blah. Mm. But I think, speaking for myself, just because I went in through that parent community, I probably put too much emphasis on age, and now I think a big plank of what we should be doing is doesn't matter whatever age you what 
I would still like to see age prohibition, but it's only part of it. I would also like to see whatever age you are, you've got a right to fair knowledge. You've got a right to know what's true and what we don't know. And the, the last bit is probably more important at the minute because it's, as Richie says, it's all the things we don't know, which we could, and they're choosing not to. Um, I can't. I mean, Michael Biggs has shown you can do quite a lot with freedom of information requests, but ultimately I don't have access to people's private personal records. So I can't do that. We can't do that research. Somebody needs to do it, but it's all doable. Could I share a, a, an EPAL anecdote that's related to age? So um, one of the, oh, I, 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 I had uh, been drawn into a, a conversation with one of the uh, attendees of, of EPATH who was upset that I was there to ask questions. And she was very kindly. She was, uh, uh, she's a therapist in, or a social worker in, in Ireland who's in her 60s, and she leads some of these trans groups in, in southwestern Ireland, and, and she really wanted to, to try to educate me. And we, we were being nice. You know, I'm, I like to have polite conversations with people. And, and as it happened in Killarney, while we were there, there was this big rally race that was happening that weekend as we were finishing oh, yeah. up. And these rally racers are, are all uh, like very largely young men with a with a small group of women that were sort of their followers that were coming around. And, and I, I would say maybe the oldest of them was 22, 23. They're, they're all very young. And this woman uh, was saying to me, oh, you'll, you'll want to be very careful walking around the streets of Killarney because these rally racers are in town and the rally racers are okay, but uh, they, they bring with them flocks of, of young men who are uh, just very dangerous drivers. So you got to be very careful on the road this weekend. And then she said, and and they're they're such dangerous drivers because their their brains don't stop maturing until they're 28 years old. And I had just been having a conversation with her about why uh, we don't want to be medicalizing minors because they they don't have the maturity to to understand their decisions. And I just fixed her with this look and I said, oh, they're not mature enough until age 28. Is that? She's like, well, you know, it's, it's different. It's different between the, the young men who are driving dangerously and teenagers who are trying to become their true selves. Why? <laughs> yeah, why is that different? Why am it's I just not different. my true self going at 120 kilometers an hour down a very <laughs> know, small right, country lane in Kalani? That sounds exactly like my true self. <laughs> well, that this is, is my true self. I'm a boy racer. <laughs> the cognitive dissonance in, yes. in the people who we're trying to persuade sometimes is so massive that even though we can speak slowly and simply and use very understandable models and examples their cognitive dissonance will still prevent them from being able to <laughs> acknowledge what you're saying because it would invalidate the other things that they believe. Yeah. I think is also it's fair enough to add to sense of scale or that because I think if anyone had cognitive dissonance to the nth degree, it was me a few years ago, right? And it's like uh, I'm going to struggle to like judge these people for not being able to see how obvious it is when for all those years with me, it was staring us right in the face and I refused mm -hmm. to say it. And I would come out with all these crazy things um, from, you know, I'm not 
again, like uh, the reason I'm not a gay man is because I'm actually a woman. So it doesn't make sense. And it was like it was such a, there's so much gymnastics that, because it, like it all meets these rules. And when you step back, because no one offers this to you, because when people are like antagonizing from the outside and saying that doesn't make sense, you just think they don't understand. So you don't even bother to try and understand their perspective. You're just saying you don't get it. And but when mm -hmm. you step outside, you're like, wow, this is actually fucking mental. This is crazy. What the actual fucking crazy, you know? And it's like, it, it's because the it's always one more thing getting introduced, right? And um, mm -hmm. for me, the mm -hmm. thing that really, really broke me were furries and ABDL. And I was like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Wait, what, 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 what happened with the fairies? The fairies came to fairies you? Oh, God, God, no, 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 fairies. 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 I say fairies for some reason. I so, you, so you saw the furry community adopting the same sort of rhetoric that you were believing in. You're like, wait, this, th yeah. this is the same pattern yeah. that I am locked in. But I was having problems uh, justifying why I didn't like their stuff but my stuff was okay and i couldn't i couldn't do it i was like well this this is stupid i either i was in this position where i was like shit i have to accept them i have to accept them because like it just falls this into question then i was thinking no i'm not i'm not gonna do it i'm not gonna request anyone who sexualizes animals or children i'm not gonna do it go fuck yourself you know what i mean um yeah <laughs> We did. We had a panel um, about the boys, which was what about the boys, which was nominally about um, kind of based on Alistair's uh, research into the boy question. But it, it became more about the men, like or what, what about masculinity, about manhood, and and you know the tensions with that. It was very interesting for me because we were in a room filled with women, um, so we had to do a lot of like uh, double tiptoeing and double stepping and kind of like try to carve out a place for men to talk about men with men. And you know there was just kind of like some pressure there, which was kind of interesting. And then going from that panel onto the streets of Killarney, where you have all these women in mini skirts and with their <laughs> with their they're it just like everything's just like hanging out and then all these boys in these really loud cars like there was no more extreme um kind of contrast between trying to be gender critical and then like just be immersed in this culture that is very gendered and they they embrace mm -hmm. it they don't have any questions about it and you know i know that the 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 culture there even kind of mocked epath for trying to erase bathrooms and stuff and there was some viral things going on there so i just w wanted to bring in i just love the topic of gender i was wanting to bring in if you guys had any thoughts about that male issue the, the boy issue since we are here we're all together oh, and got so much to say about the male thing and i was good at the one letters on that panel but I'm not well, getting into the now. drama behind it. Yeah, I'm not getting into the, the drama. drama behind you spoke it. through. You spoke through Karima. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't. Long I didn't enough, know, the thing is, uh, Hold on. Let me I, just say I this. Like, it wasn't long enough, but everything wasn't long enough, and everyone yeah. came to me about everything and said, "Can you make more room for everything?" And you then you're looking at it, thinking like, "No." Sorry, and I actually got a bit narky with a couple of people I because they came up to me and said, da, 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 and I'm like. Yeah, I will it's say full. It. it's full. That uh, yeah, that there should have been more. There should have been more in depth, and I think they were just trying to get a taste for everything, and you sure, know, which sure. is good because it shows that people are hungry. You know, 
But um, and we didn't do everything. There's still whole topics that we missed. We didn't yeah. actually do autism. We didn't talk about specifically about autism. Now, I can announce that we are going to Colorado in November. So take yeah, me. We are. We are. So uh, US Path is having a conference in Denver, Colorado in November, and we will be there. Um, not much I'll more to say about it in a minute. But we will be there. I'm not it's making on. any promises about okay. my attendance. Yes. But okay. He says, saying we, um, hopefully. Okay. You, yeah. you, can, you can promise. So there'll be an answer. opportunity if there's stuff that, huh? I said you should promise. I should promise. That you'll be in Colorado. Denver yeah, in right. November. I promise, I promise I'll be in Colorado. Promise. Yeah, I promise I'll be in Colorado. I just this time um, around, I want the the panel, like the table that the panels are on, to have like a Genspect um, like banner on it, so I don't have so to don't go have in to and in post. <laughs> yeah, put that but on you know, this big white I'm, blanket. Yeah, it's it was a good edit. It was a good edit. No, I yeah, it was a good edit. I, I think US Path is. It, it remains to be seen because they could be quite different from E Path. We have to remember Europe is changing, and the US, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, doubling down. Kind so, of feels like it. I would very much like to go back to the original topic, which was about the males. Yeah, um, let's expand on that. There were quite a few points in there, and there were one of the critical points I really wanted to address, which was something that came up and a parent had stood up and argued against, which I was online, and it was a comment about an observation, a totally unhelpful observation, and I'm going to go into why leaning too much onto this theory regarding autogynophilia and men and masculinity is ultimately unhelpful. It doesn't help the people who are impacted. Not even understand it. It doesn't, doesn't do anything. But this individual um, came up with an absolute shit theory that wasn't helpful, that the reason that young men transition is because of weak fathers. And I'm like, Oh my God, if you met my dad and said that to him, he would bury you. You would be six feet under. My dad is the pinnacle of masculinity. That was definitely not a problem. He was a provider and he was strong. And a lot of other people in this have got either, it, it may not be a great relationship with your father, but they've got a strong masculine role model. I don't remember all the details. That is it possible that there's a hangover from like the pre twenty whatever we call it twenty twelve twenty fourteen surge, and that there are things which were true which are no longer true. Because one of the parts of the conversation which interested me is like, is there an basically is there a male ROGD thing? Because maybe what you're saying yes. is like, if there's a male ROGD cohort, that's not true. But for all I know, if like if you've been a clinician, you've been working through the nineties and noughties and so forth. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There about is family there is a male ORGD cohort, and the reason that people want to say there's I not so. is because it impacts the victim narrative that it's all impacting women and girls. That's mm. why people are very much wanting. But I'm sorry, there are there are so many people, especially in the speedrunning community and nerd culture in a in a in a whole, has been drastically overtaken. Um, with trans ideology and you're getting a lot of what people want yeah, to be honest uh, HRT and surgery has done what's cracked done to poor communities in the 80s with crack cocaine you know what I mean it's hmm. totally decimated the nerd culture well I, I, allow me to, to 
provide a little bit more wiggle room and, and maybe some gentle pushback. If if homophobia can be one cause leading toward a male to um, uh, want to become a female, can't there also be some sort of the relationship with the male, the relationship with the masculinity, the relationship with becoming a man? I know with the AGPs that I've interviewed and that have desisted, they it took them a long time to be comfortable with themselves as being male because they saw male as a negative archetype, whether it's their father or their community or something like that. So I think just opening up, maybe it's not helpful for some, but I think just opening up the exploration of masculinity as well as sexuality, just to, to give people more tools to understand and to fill out the picture of why they want to transition or why they did well, want to transition. So here's the thing, Boise, uh, to push back on your pushback. We're not just raised by our parents anymore. We're not just raised by our primary caregiver. We're raised by TikTok. We're raised by the internet, by our teachers, by our friends, by what we see in media. So adopting like their view of masculinity to come from this like reductive view. If I only had my dad's fear, I would be a very different person. But that's not what happened. That was one ingredient in this huge huge recipe that has a lot of other components. This is one tiny thing. And to reduce it to saying that someone like the fathers in this are weak men, they are not weak men. They are the opposite of weak men, most of them. They have old-fashioned views, but does that make them weak? I don't think so. Um, and I think there is a lot of personal bias in having that theory out because if you've got a trans-identified daughter and you want to invest in the idea that this is all down to a weak uh, father for the boys, then surely having a weak mother would be the reason for a trans-identified daughter. And that would instantly... That doesn't ring true at all. That doesn't ring true at all. That, that, could... that That's literally, that's... No, because we believe sex matters. So we don't believe uh, that if... <laughs> no, but this is the no, message that I'm hearing from. Let, let's, let's not get too hung on the word weak, but I do want to talk about uh, the our our father figures or our father archetypes as not being able to connect very easily with sons who are not following their their expected model of masculinity. So it's not that it makes them weak, uh, but maybe they're not even engaging with their sons because uh, I, I I don't think it's unfamiliar for for some of the stories that I've heard in the trans and de trans community among the males to say, yeah, my my dad didn't get me. He didn't spend time with me. Um, I, I didn't live up to his expectations. He couldn't operate at my level. He, he had no interest in my interests. So I, I don't think that it's necessarily weakness, but I would say that, um, and, and this is this is all men. It's not just people in the trans community, but or, or detrans community. But I, I think that there is actually sort of a, a lack of a nurturing father figure to help some of the outliers like us really uh, see that uh, we have potential as as men. Mm -hmm. Those two very different adjectives: strong and nurturing. They're not the same well, I, thing. I, I, I think they are the same thing. Well, they could be. It depends how you're nurturing. It depends how you're strong. Um, I don't think that that rings true at all. Um, I don't, I mean, th that to me, the, the whole point of what we believe is that there are fundamental differences between men and women. So I don't think that you can do that level of transitivity. I don't feel, I, I don't know. Um, 
Well, about just... all of the family psychodynamics things, yeah. because basically yeah. the, the great thing that happened is we were in a room full of people who have very different views and they yes. were able to be expressed. Mm. Um, and I kind of sat back slightly thinking, well, I don't know. Because I came into this hearing the mother. So there's, an, there's another person, which is the mother's perspective. Because let's say you've got the mother, you've got the father, and you've got the boy. And I think we need to work that all out. But I don't think it's fair at all to say that that goes into personal bias. Um, unless it goes into personal bias for all of us, in which case, Jesus, well, now we're woke. Now we're, um, you don't have the lived experience to say that and all the rest of it. And I, I don't particularly want to go down that road. <laughs> But there still it needs has to, to be... be said that. Go on. No. Oh. Well, just that, that there is a father-shaped hole in the middle of this whole conversation. You know, ninety-six percent of the parents who are in the GDSN are mothers. It's not like there's a rule saying the mother has to attend first. That is the natural way that things happen. Is that no, not just the nature think... of mothers and fathers generally? It could be. It could also be the nature of. Men wanting also, to avoid listen, very, very female-oriented like, groups. That's exactly. another thing. And also, let's go back to that point with the dad. I, I am not disputing that the father element plays into transition. I'm disputing how much of that plays in. How much credence are we giving into it, given the other factors? It could just be, well, it could just be that the father aspect might set you up to be in the right conditions to transition. That might be one thing, but it doesn't take you all the way. It doesn't push you down that route. You need the internet. You need so many. I know, I know, but- But Nobody said, and there's genetics as well. There's a huge genetic thing. We've got neurodiversity, we've got sexuality. There's loads of stuff. Nobody said that. And I think that recognized we're at the beginning of the conversation. This is tentative stuff. These people have only just come into the room for the first time. Which is why they should be very careful in what they say, because they say these things so flippantly and it alienates oh. half of their audience. You and I said fuck W path. Come on, like you oh, I'm mate, not gonna, I, it's um, me. Listen, I don't have a dick, I can get away with it, right? I can say these things. Other people who are coming out are more sort of professional view from a helping view, need to be 100% what they're saying. They can't wait till someone like me comes in and corrects them and tells but them I don't, that they're yeah. Do you know that, what I mean? I feel very I, strongly about this, naturally, but I feel I like there different, is... Different people think that there are different... We don't all agree with one another. No. That's the point. And we have to have dialogue to reach the point where we might question what we are saying. And the, the problem is, is when that dialogue isn't allowed to happen, which was the case with what happened. No, it's it's allowed to happen right now. But it didn't happen. It happened it's well, right happened then now. at I that know. moment. I'm just a little bit pissed so off about know, that, you know. I know. Um, and I feel like we do have fundamental issues when it comes to the support aspect. Um, and I have... Support. In what, support in what for way? the D-trans males and how they're getting handled in the background and other D-transitioners. And it's about how do we go forward in a way that helps them. And I think Stella was right. Ultimately, it's going to fall on a charity for D-transitioners by D-transitioners. Um, Isn't that, that is already just right. come into? It is, yeah. Camille and Cat uh, have set up D-trans help, which is um, exactly that thread. D-trans um, help. Except the that it doesn't. Is what it's called. Except that it doesn't have any men, which is surprising. It and as does. somebody who's so pivotal in, well, not it on the website, does. it doesn't. Yes, right. Okay, you've got to understand. They're set up in the US. 
There are tax mm-hmm. issues there. I can't just like I'm gonna be doing stuff for them. I'm gonna help okay. them out, but I can't be in that because the the weird rules and stuff. So what mm-hmm. I'll probably want to do anyway is maybe set up a version in the UK of that, or for, or for Europe or something, because there might be some boundary issues with the border. But I'm certainly involved, and I'm certainly more than happy to help them at any point. Um, but also thinking of all the stuff that I'm doing generally, it's just another chunk of shit that mm-hmm. I want to do and I just don't have the time, don't have the money. I've got me full-time job and everything. Well, you know, what? On, 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 that, on that note, I have one also that I need to get going back to here. Thanks, yeah. Ren. Thanks for in- inviting me, Benjamin. It's good to Thanks see you, Richie, by. and you nice as well, Alistair. See you soon. Bye. 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 So what what, do, what positive thing, on the positive side, what do the boys need? And we have discussed this before, but now that we've gone through the conference and, and thought more about this, seen the so, landscape a little bit better. As I've got, um, the way I look at it is you've got a few different levels, um, and especially the ones who are about the mid-20s. Um, that is a big struggle group. So they would have been transitioned for about seven or eight years so late end of the teens and a lot of these people lack the basic confidence just to call somebody to ask for help locally and they might need somebody to advocate for them so it's gonna it might seem so tiny and small to anyone looking outside but to them having somebody say write an email on your behalf to get like say help for a referral for a health thing or um an autism referral whatever it is just those little things, those little pushes are monumental to the differences because a lot of these people will sit in the rooms for weeks and stress about sending an email or making a phone call. And that fundamentally, it's these little little tiny life things that are just too much fun to bear that they need somebody to just come in and be like, if they can help them or saw them or like hold a hand a little bit and I know people are reluctant to do that because the adults and it's like actually you're dealing with people with severe arrested development I'm not talking like a little bit of arrested development I'm talking like their entire male socialization has been put on hold scrambled up and now we're trying to say it now levers a male again and it's like hang on they've got all these messed up ideas they're feeling very vulnerable. They're feeling like they're going to burst at any second. They've got physical pain. They've got issues of hormones. They've got all these other health problems. It's a lot just to make a little tiny phone call. So I think for a lot of us, and I think this extends to females uh, too, but with the women, um, they tend to have a lot more women's groups that can help them out. Not always, but they do tend to have that little buy-in and like, with the whole rad femme movement, they're very embracing a female detransitioners, whether that's a good or bad thing, I'm not going to get into. And I'm, I mean, I'm not talking about rad femme, I'm talking about jumping from one thing to another. This should all be about recovery and reintegrating and then having a look into politics, but you can't just go from trauma to trauma. Um, so for the males, they definitely need a little bit of handhold. And for the ones who are hmm. a little bit past that, uh, I see therapy as it can be helpful and if you've never ever really ever had any therapy whatsoever and you need some some basic stuff. But the big one that keeps coming up is is it EMDR or EDMR? One of the two. It's the 
it's like the the go-to gold standard for OCD. And surprise, surprise, hmm. OCD comes up again and again and again and again. And people are like running through like these self-help things or maybe they're going through a therapist. And that, just that is making the, the world of difference to the dysphoria, to their anxiety, to everything. Do you I know what it, how it helps, uh, this this acronym? The, the... The, it, what was the yeah, acronym? It, 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 EMDR, it, it, you follow the light with your eyes and you are asked to consider various topics as you follow the light. And it the movement of your eyes into different unexpected places that you wouldn't normally use is claimed. And I think a lot of people believe this claim to activate parts of the brain differently so that you're thinking about the same topic with different parts of your brain. Okay, which then, so integrates down new pathways through the neurological grass and you can think about things differently it's also yep. used for people with PD ptsd i think which is a big thing that keeps coming up and i'm not talking just from tra like trauma from medicalization i'm talking about lifelong ptsd and it feels like transition has been this perfect escape for people to and it was escape for me like i had a lot of um, but I did have severe PTSD from a lot of things that happened in school, for instance. And it's like, oh, you can't get PTSD from school. I'm like, you, you can when you think, when you literally believe your life's that threat and you're a kid. Yeah, yeah of course you can. Why wouldn't you? And w there's this be there's this mass oversimplification of like what it's like to be a boy in school when you're facing violence every single day a slap on the head or a hit or maybe somebody's thrown something at you. It's expected in the culture, but for your sensitive lad, it just totally ruins them. And if a, a lass, a girl or whatever was getting that treatment, instantly people would understand why that shouldn't be happening because they understand the impacts. And you're dealing with people who have got a lot of sibling abuse. Um, again, going back to the family thing, this is another one that keeps coming up, abuse from siblings. Like, my older brother absolutely trapped me like shit for years and years and years. Like, it was, it, he, he hated, he hated me. And I couldn't work out why, and he just did. And a lot of people have got this dynamic where they have, they have a lot of shit from a sibling. Um, and that comes into it. And again, this is why I get very antsy about going in and saying, it's all the father, it's all the mother. I'm saying it's not, there are the school and your brother and sister are way more, uh, like you're with your brother and your sister more than you are with your parents. A lot of people don't understand that as well. You, you spend a lot of time with them. And when they're being abusive to you 24 seven, it's hard to feel safe. It's hard to feel in control. It's hard not to feel anxious. And that in itself can cause a lot of PTSD. And people think trauma, they think it has to be this horrific event where you're screaming in a corner getting beaten. No, it doesn't. It just has to be anything that made you feel uneasy, unsafe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone is saying it's all the father or all the mother. Um, I don't think anyone's saying that at all. But I mean, I had serious trauma and it was entirely related to parental relationships entirely. And to say that isn't to deny anything else, and it's not to make a claim about a general population. To answer your question, Benjamin, what do the boys need? I think two things. One is for, you know, it appears that finally what we've wanted for a very long time, which is detransitional-led movement to advocacy, 
by detransitioners that needs to include men, either as a separate organization, a brother and sister, whatever, or as one organization. I don't, that's not up to me. Um, I think Genspec should continue to provide all the services we're providing. It's like it's worth stressing that there's stuff like we've got people who've been working in recruitment for many, many decades. So if you've detransitioned and let's say you've got a couple of blank years in your CV, which you feel a bit kind of about, we'll continue doing so you can come to and we'll do that for free and give it back to you. And I think we should still do all of that. But I think it's time for the detransitioners to lead the detrans advocacy. And I'd like mm -hmm. to see men involved in that. And then the second thing, and I would say this, is to realise how incredibly lucky you are to have the whole of your life ahead of you, even with a disability, if we want to call it a disability, because you can think of incontinence as a disability, it probably is a good way to think of it. If you have the whole of your life ahead of you, you're very, very lucky. Um, I'd like some more optimism, and I'd like some joy in the world, and a bit of, you know bringing back a lot of what these young people have been robbed of, which is humour, friendship, being able to reach across the divide, giving people the benefit of the doubt, being able to flirt, being able to enjoy. Just all these things which seemed... I was just talking about all of this with Jesse Manister, like all of these things which just seem to have been taken by this horrible, heightened web kind of climate which i think i think the the reason that the conference felt like an oasis for so many people is because it took us all out of that and we were all shit bodies we were all embodied people no matter how we feel about what our bodies are doing at the minute sharing the same space and that was very powerful and i hope we don't lose that i mean maybe that would just maybe that just goes anyway because that's human nature but i i want us to hold on to that I agree. I think fo focusing on this as a recovery rather than a detransition is probably the the healthiest way. Like for me, like, I don't know what it was. I was still so afraid in transition. Like I didn't do the things I wanted to do. I promised myself I would start dancing when I transitioned. I would start swimming. I would start, I even wanted to do archery then. And I never did. I was still terrified. And now it's like, well, actually, what's the point in like, processing what's happened is one thing but you're right you've got your life ahead of you and you need to like live it which is why i've been living it as best as i possibly yeah, can lately yeah, yeah. um i am a qualified archer um only the first first level um but i will be um going for some proper certification and yeah. uh be in the Olympics before you know it, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. Robbing women of gold and stuff. I, <laughs> yeah. I was asked, um, I was asked by somebody who was at the conference, they DM'd me and he had an idea, like he wants to do some detransition or support, um, like one-on-one -on -one things. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But like maybe just a book club, like just, just read some literature and just have a book club, you know, just like so build up, like the, you know, like thinking about getting, getting out of your head, like what you're doing, Richie. And then also, also one, one more point, a, a detransitioner, like tip me, give me a tip uh, and said that they cannot watch my videos anymore. It really, really helped them to, to go through the videos that I've done with transition and detransition, but they can't think about it anymore. It's just, it's just, they are done yeah. with it. Thank you very much. And yeah. leaving. So like an offboarding process for detransitioners. Absolutely. Which essential. is why you shouldn't really be doing advocacy for 
I think the absolute time limit, the absolute end of this is two years. If you go over the two-year mark, you've you've done something wrong, I feel like. I think realistically, six months to 12 months is probably a good time. But overall, you should aim to come out of this. You can't be doing this forever. I don't want to turn into a can be doing what? Like speaking or being a like this, activist like or a detransitioner? Being like a detrans activist. Could you imagine if I was doing this in five years? You'd be like, what the fuck are you doing, Richie? Go live yeah. your life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like... Well, you know, uh, certain people will have certain sort of uh, ability to step back from the advocacy and actually just kind of be a counselor or something like that, a mentor, yeah. you know, like where you're not on the spotlight. I don't think it is good for anybody to be an activist, period. But there is a role still for wisdom and elders and, and that kind of set. Yeah, down the road. absolutely. I'm, no, I'm, I'm with you. I and in terms of the time scale, it's like when I first came out, um, onto the scene, I was doing, I was saying yes to everything because I didn't know how to say no. I ended up doing interviews with people I probably wouldn't have done now and all that sort of thing because you just can't say. And it's just like no one has a a guidebook to how, what do you do when you, when you get the spotlight drawn on you? No one's got that, especially in this. And it's just like, I would like to be able to, recycle some of that advice and I have been able to help a few others who were in similar positions to me and I'm glad I did because I could see what it was doing to them in the background um but yeah hmm. beyond You're deep in thought there Alistair with your hat you're not that tall in real life by the way I just thought I would say that because everyone was saying he's how tall so he was tall. he's, so he's tall. not He's not. He's only six. Like the jolly green giant, except for he's. <laughs> except he's not green. No, no. So what, what next? What going forward? What what are some cool things that are coming up? Or... I can tell you what we're doing. Yeah. You when? Well, yeah. Hold on a minute. When are you going to release this? Well, I can say we're going to Colorado. We're definitely going to Colorado, but we are very much. Um, intensively discussing where to go next and the headline and what how we're going to do is we're going to replace wp yay essentially Fuck them. we have a different view which is that you don't have to medicalize the gender identity and it's better not to yeah. and we are going to formalize that view and we are going to replace them with that view and we will not Watch stop at anything short of that. Yes. The, with, we can never Dana, settle for the with... Trojan horses. That is medicalization. It can never happen because we'll, right, we'll be right back to where we are. And I'm sorry, guys. There will do... always be people who can help you medicalize. That's the thing. We, we, so we don't yeah. need, if, if people want to medicalize. They will find a way. Yeah, it's just not going to be us. We just don't want to make it. But, so but what we are going to do is, is give, uh, is provide a much more structured pathway for everyone actually in society of like, okay, so if you don't want to medicalize and here's why you shouldn't want to medicalize quite frankly. Um, and this is what you can do. And this is what the people who know you can do. And this is what institutions can do. This is what politicians can do. Um, you know, to have all of that talent in the room, to have 
Ellen and Maya and Stephanie and all those brilliant people we met, it's we feel very galvanized and it's time to do something with that. Yeah. The adults are back yeah. in the room. Yay. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of them, apparently. Uh, <laughs> uh, it'll happen eventually. It'll happen. I'll grow up. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm 36 in like oh, two weeks. So I hope Maybe. I grow up by then. Yeah. Um, what have I got going on? Uh, the legal shit. Oh my God, there is so much cool shit happening in the background. Really? I wish I could be really? public about it. I okay. really do. It's moving it's, forward then. You can say it that. is. Okay. It is, and it's going to really piss off so many people. It's going to be brilliant. Um, I can't wait. Um, I'm writing this book, and I have been at it for over a year now, more or less. Um, and, you know, when I can, in between meeting people or running groups and my job and everything else in life, you know, and I'm trying to write this book. I see why Helen Joyce said she took time out to, to, to write hers. I was like, I wish I could. I can't. That I, like, yeah. if I could take time out, I would have, um, because it's so intensive. And making sure that I don't just put something out for the sake of it, that it's meaningful, that it's written in the way that I want. And what is it a like, book about? Like, is it an autobiography it, or like your? Yeah, it like some it's kind fin, of fanboy fan fiction, like just taking. Yeah, it's like it's Tranny Elliot, basically. You know, uh, Billy Elliot, but Tranny. You know. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be actually heart touching or heart heart touching. Yeah. It will be, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So it's an autobiography. Really yeah, it's a little bit, it's like narrating my own story, but also yeah. adding some observational stuff in it as well. So <laughs> it's not like, it's not like Helen Joyce's book or anything like that, or Hannah Barnes's book for that matter. It'll be very much more personal, personalized and speaking to that. Because to me, the only thing that really matters going forward in terms of there's a lot that matters in activism, but the people I want to speak to, the people who are in it, the people who are who have the feelings that I had and just needed the permission to do so, because I think there's a lot of shit working against them. If you, especially if you feel like transition was a really dumb idea, but I see why I did it. I'm not punished myself, but it was a dumb idea, and it was like, how do I get out of it? You don't really have that option at the minute, do you? It's all very much like you're going to retransition or you'll kill yourself. And it's just like, shit, I better stay trans then. Mm. But if I can put it into words and I can write down an experience of my experience that resonates with people, it might just stop a few from making this catastrophic error of judgment because that's what it was. Mm. You okay out there, Alistair? You're looking a bit... You all right? Should we well, it's the just plane? the sunlight. Yeah, I know. It's sunlight. just the sunlight. Okay. What did you say, Benjamin? <laughs> Are we landing the plane now? Should we land the plane? It feels like we're landing the plane. I reckon. Okay. I might, I, yeah, I just had a mad craving for eggs. Ooh. It just eggs. hit my body 30 seconds ago. Yeah, I really want to eat eggs. How many eggs does a six foot five man eat? In In, in what meal? <laughs> I don't know. How would you normally have your eggs? Per per meal. Per meal. If I had an omelet. Three. Hmm. Well, that's okay. That's acceptable. That's acceptable. Occasionally four. Oh. 
That, that's quite yeah. a large omelet. What do you put in your omelet then? Do you have some dairy and, and some... uh chili? Uh, I usually put cheese in an omelet, chili cheese, fried tomato, something like that. Yeah, wow. I never had chili. An omelet with loads of raw chili in it is actually a real delight. Like chili pepper or like chili, like beanie chili? Yeah, yeah, just finely, very, no, 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 uh, chili pepper, just very finely diced chili pepper. And you can almost just throw it in at the last minute and just have it crunchy. It's good. Sounds weird, but it's good. Spicy no, omelet. No. I was thinking like beans in the middle of eggs. So like that's it was kind of weird, but you're doing chili peppers. Okay. Oh, you could do that. That would actually be all right. It'd be like an <laughs> egg British, donut. Wouldn't it? <laughs> British, like a breakfast donut. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. This oh is... Okay, yeah, yeah. Could and you could you live bacon. live blog that, please? <laughs> I will. I will do cooking with Richie. Diabetes with Richie. Uh, diabetes. <laughs> Um, if we are landing Girl. the plane now, uh, thank you everyone, blah, 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 and all that sort of thing. And there are some bits we may need, I may need to redact and I'll come back at you, Boise, because I was a bit okay. spicy earlier on. Okay. And we'll uh, see. I, I marked them. I, I had my little marker. <laughs> well, maybe, 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 maybe. But thank I'm you both sorry. very much. It was so wonderful to hang out with both of you and actually and see you guys in person. It was lovely. So it was wonderful. I loved hanging out with you guys. It was lovely. Surprise. People are like, uh, so what did you do in Ireland? I'm like, I chain smoked and drank too much. Uh, well, how did you see the country? I'm like, there were cows. I didn't really see anything other than other people. So. <laughs> no, you were here and it was so yeah. intensive, you being here for three days. And then you went and I was genuinely like, where's Countryman? <laughs> like, been, do you know what I mean? Like, when somebody's with you for three days and it's a small house and it was, yeah, yeah it was lovely. It was really, really nice. It's really nice. I really wish I could. Well, have thanks very those. much those pictures public because we had a lot of there was like this great picture with all these detransitioners some of them who are very public and some who aren't and it was yeah. such a nice picture but i can't make it public i wish well, I could. Wait. one day well it's one day will. in like 20 years 20 yeah. years time yeah. or put it in your book yeah in my book yes in the history <laughs> the history all right guys i'm, gonna all right, thanks, right. Boise. Well, I'm thanks, off to man. cook all right enjoy your eggs okay.